purpose is transforming the world of work and business. Those leading the way are values-based and people-focused leaders who see business as a force for good. Host Kevin Monroe explores how tapping into the power of purpose infuses your business with meaning and touches the lives of your employees while positively impacting the communities you serve. With the Higher Purpose Podcast, here's Kevin Monroe. You're listening to the Higher Purpose Podcast, and that, the very act of you tuning in today to listen, makes me happy. Hey, I'm Kevin Monroe, and it's my privilege to host these conversations, helping you navigate the journey to meaningful work and joyful living. If you've been listening lately, you notice there's a theme weaving through these conversations of recent weeks, and that's the theme of human-centered work or humans' first work and workplaces. And love is something you've been hearing a lot about. It's front and center to what it means to be human-centered or humans first. So in this conversation, episode 81, we're continuing that quest. Today, we're joined by Dr. Heather Hansen-Wickman. She leads Untethered Consulting and recently released her first book, The Evolved Executive, The Future of Work is Love in Action. This is going to be good, so let's dive in and get going. Heather Wickman, what a joy and a delight to welcome you to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Uh, Thank you. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Hey, I am so jazzed for this conversation, and I want to publicly thank Mike Vacanti for introducing us. You know, Heather, so if I was thinking about this, if we had a Venn diagram of all of the places our ideas and experiences intersect, it would be amazing. That's what stood out to me when I was reading your book. And so I'm excited to dive in and explore those, dig deeper into your new book, The Evolved Executive, The Future of Work is Love in Action. But before we do that, I always start conversations with this. What's something you are grateful for in this moment? Yeah, I love that question. And it's so fun to start my day there. And the thing that comes to mind for me is is really friendship. Mm. And the way in which you and I got connected seems like this amazing kind of exactly that Venn diagram of how many people that have said, hey, you should talk to this person. Hey, if you like this, you should connect. And it feels like so often I take those friendships and connections for granted. And so I feel really uniquely grateful that we have crossed paths and have a chance to connect today. Yeah, and it is amazing, Heather, how much more easily that happens today, you know, than it did five years ago, 10 years ago. Things like LinkedIn, especially where so many of us connect around business. And wow, you meet with people. And I've been in conversations with people around the world today Mm -hmm. on social media. So it, Mm -hmm. it is. It's beautiful. I love that. And what are you grateful for? Well, same thing. I was going to say, I'm grateful for when I think of I said this to you before we hit record. These waves and ripples is how I think of so many of these relationships. And a few weeks ago, I was doing this at the end of December. I started thinking, well, how did I meet this person? And I started backing up. Yeah. I was, oh, I met him and I met that her. And, and it's amazing. So, you know, I met you through Mike Vacanti, like I said a few moments ago. Well, how did I meet Mike? Huh. <laughs> I met Mike through Marcel Schwantes. And Marcel and I connected around servant leadership seven or eight years ago on another podcast I did. So, you know, it's just interesting how you watch all of these, the dots intersect and then the ripples that 
go out from there and it just keeps going and going. And so there'll be people that will hear this that know you. And I get to introduce you to people that have never heard of Heather Wickman before. And we have this great conversation. And then they go, oh, wow. And then they tell their friend, you need to know Heather Wickman. And you ought to read this book, The Evolved Executive. And you know, that's just the world that we live in. And I love living in not only times like that, but in networks like that where people are generous, yeah, willing to share. And people are have an abundance mentality. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. All right. Well, I love your book, The Evolved Executive. And gosh, I was so deeply moved by something at the end of your book. And I want to read this line, Heather, because I'm not even sure why you wrote this line. You can tell us that. But I love this line. And I love that it was at the end of the book. It's not like at the beginning. But you wrote, I am not the owner of these ideas, but one who has the chance to share, connect, contribute, participate to the important work of a worldwide movement. It really is a labor of love and gratitude. When I'm, re- I'm like, here, here. I mean, that's how I feel about the work I do. It's so we're stewards. We're not owners, yeah. but let's talk about that. Yeah. You know, as I was writing the book and I kind of got to the end or I did get to the end and there was just this kind of overwhelming sense of gratitude because I've been studying this material, you know, my entire adult life through undergrad, through graduate school, through my doctoral program. And I had gotten to this point where I felt like I was like standing on the shoulders of such amazing people who have come before me and who have shaped my thinking and my beliefs. And by no means did I want to take the credit for that and wanted to give credit where credit was due. And we're in a time where I don't think there's very few original ideas anymore. Right. And so it was just that moment of just pure gratitude Hmm. for an incredible group of teachers who have no idea that they've touched my life in the way that they have. So that's interesting. And I agree with you that there are no new ideas, but no one else has your journey either. And so your perspective, your journey combined with these ideas, when you begin to share them, they Mm -hmm. come out differently. And there's some people that will hear them from you that can't hear them from anyone else or don't hear them from anyone else the way they hear them from you. So there really is a lot of Heather in this, (laughs) but you are. And I appreciate because I was talking to someone else about your book this week because we were talking about the desire to give attribution where attribution is due because so many people kind of take ideas and you're like, no, this isn't a new idea. Yeah. But when you hear them presenting it, it sounds like they dreamed it up. Yeah. So let's talk a bit <laughs> about your journey, your journey to purpose. Yeah. And I want you, because this is the Higher Purpose Podcast, so I've got to have you share your purpose because Heather, I love your purpose. <laughs> and then how and where the book fits into the journey and purpose. Yeah but it's all connected here, right? It is. It's all one winding journey and it's not the prettiest journey, but not many are when they tell the truth, right? Exactly. I could give you the rosy version, but I'm going to give you the not so rosy version. But to answer the question, like the, to work from the end, my purpose has become pretty clear and it's really simple. And it's to awaken the soul of leaders to create soulful organizations. Wow. And it's, taken me a while to really articulate what that is. And 
I haven't arrived. I know that my purpose will continue to evolve and find its way, but that's where I'm at today. But it went through a pretty rocky period. So I climbed the corporate ladder. I was really excited to do so. I was an achieving little person and I was ready to do what I thought was the path to success. And in my mind, that was climbing the corporate ladder, you know, moving quickly through my education, you know, moving quickly through different jobs and roles and getting promoted and working really hard, all things that I value in life. And then something, (laughs) something shifted and I uh, was being promoted to a role and something didn't feel quite right. There was this feeling of like, well, you know, this is a good job, but I'm not sure I feel good about it. I'm not sure I feel joyful and fulfilled, but I did it. You know, I kind of pushed it away and kept plugging along because it was on my path. It was what I was supposed to do. And then I uh, transferred out to a different location and was going to work for a dear colleague. And I was excited about that. And so I was transitioning out to California and something happened inside of me. And I was then offered kind of what I thought would be my ideal job. I was going to be a VP of talent and OD. And that's everything that I thought I wanted to be. And my husband was moving out. We had sold everything in Denver. And I called him one day and I said, babe, I'm resigning. And, (laughs) you know, there was just silence on the other end of the line. And I just can't even imagine what was going through his head. But something inside of me just said, I can't do it anymore. This is not aligning to what I actually want in life. And it was such a, like, unfamiliar place, because it was, you know, you reach that point where this is, of course, what I want. All my family and friends were like, so excited for me. And I was like, I can't, do it. Like there was such a big part of me that just couldn't do it. So anyways, that led to a whole cascade of events for my husband. He actually resigned from his corporate gig. We left the country and traveled for a while to really find ourselves. And that sounds like really romantic and fun, but it was a spiritual boot camp that I've never experienced before in my life, having to really unpack so many beliefs and identities of who I was that were no longer in alignment with who I wanted to be going forward. And there was this reckoning with feelings. Wow. Because my mind is really very powerful. Like it can rule my life. But when I let my heart speak and let my heart lead, it's a much different path. And so there was a year of really trying to allow that heart space and that love space to be present. and. That is where the book came from. Okay. And through that process, I knew that I, I knew that work is such a huge part of our lives. Isn't it? And it can be a place where we feel joy and connection and love and meaning and fulfillment. And it became really apparent that maybe my gift is to help us through that transition and help us create a world of work where leaders have the invitation and permission to lead with love and designing organizations in a way that can strip some of the fear back. All right. Well, (laughs) there you've teed up the conversation. Thanks for sharing the journey and being vulnerable and open and personal. And, you know, Heather, I think some of you listening will really be able to identify with this because you may be having feelings right now 
that you've tried to wrestle to the ground for some period of time. And I imagine you wrestled with those feelings for some period of time until they were just overwhelming. And all of a sudden you can't ignore them. Well, if you were to continue to ignore them, it would have been at great peril and cost. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. And yeah, we battled, we battled hard. And I see my clients um, going through similar battles and you're absolutely right. When we push them down, you begin to see their physical manifestation. So whether it shows up in, you know, stress related symptoms or burnout related systems, or even, you know, I've seen seizures and I've seen rashes and I've seen all these kind of things because we forget who we are in the midst of what we think we should be doing. Hmm. Well, let's keep going here. This is good. Now we could just make the whole podcast around that and maybe we should, I don't know. But Heather, I have a lot of friends that are authors and they tell me that their publisher, recently I was talking to a guy in December and, and I said something about the subtitle. And he said, oh, that was my publisher ah. that really <laughs> insisted on that subtitle. So your book, The Evolved Executive, I just love the subtitle, The Future of Work is Love in Action. So mm-hmm. where does that come from? Please don't tell me that the publisher made you do that, that you, did, no, <laughs> that you didn't want to write about love. No, actually, I wanted the title to be The Future of Work is Love and Action. And my publisher was like, we love it. It's just so long for a title. Could it be the subtitle? And strangely, it came to me in a meditation because I was really struggling to find the title for what could I call this book? Because it's a, oh man, (laughs) can I actually say love on a title of book and expect to, you know, sell anything or touch it? Yeah. And so the publisher was fantastic. They're like, we love it. It just needs to be the subtitle. So what's the title going to be? And that was another one of those scenarios where like, oh, what am I going to do? And Evolved Executive just kind of came in terms of it was the natural fit. So that's interesting. Question and curiosity question. Had you used the word Evolved Executive before that in any of your conversations or any of your work? Or, you know, did it just kind of, was it an epiphany and like, oh, yeah, that's it. And then you began using it. Yeah, I hadn't used it once. I I remember standing at the window. uh, We were at at a loft downtown Denver and my husband's like, so what's the title going to be? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, I'm just flying by the seat of my pants here. And, you know, and then I was like, huh. I think it's the evolved executive and it just hit. And I don't know. I had a friend who just wrote a book and she's like, how'd you come up with the title? And I'm like, I have no rhyme or reason or advice on how to come up with the title other than be still like, let the inside talk, not the outside talk. Hmm. Okay. So with this subtitle, and I love that story, Heather, and I'm thinking of a friend that helped a friend with the book and the friend that wrote the book was really struggling. And my friend said to him, I think something's happened in the last 48 hours that is the title of the book for you. And he just got still. I love that. And just started reflecting on his, and it just like you, it was there. It was there. The guy had written the book and then he went back and you know, change some of it through the filter of the title, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure you did because Evolved Executive appears many places in the book. But I just love it how that's not what you started out with. Right. But that's where you landed. Absolutely. Okay. So with this idea, the future of work is love. And you and I, I think I could push you just a little bit and say, okay, the future is also now. 
when we say the future of work is love in action, you are not saying that there is no love in action in the workplace today. What we're saying is we want to see it prevalent in the workplace. We want to see workplaces characterized by love and where conversations of love are more prominent. So why are so many people, especially executives, uncomfortable talking about love? Oh, <laughs> it's a it's the perfect question, right? And I think there's so many facets of this. So at the end of the day, you know, as I've worked with folks around the book and chatted with folks about the book, you know, I will talk about the book. And the moment I say love and action, I lose people. Mm. And then, then I have to backtrack and talk about what do we mean by love? And so I think when you say you lose them, what happens? Do their <laughs> eyes glaze over or do they just kind of like, oh, what? You know, it's like deer in the headlights. It's like, oh my God, she just said love at work. Said, oh. yes. <laughs> you could have said anything at that moment, but you said love. And, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I think there's, you know, this is an exaggeration, but it's not really socially acceptable to talk about love at work. And I think that's because of some beliefs and some baggage that we have around what it means to love. And in a prior podcast, you talked about the four different types of love going way back. And in our language, we don't have great distinction about what love means at work. And obviously, I'm not talking about a sexualized type of love. I'm talking about human connection kind of a love. And we're so programmed, I think, from the Industrial Revolution to, you know, strategy and tactics to be very heady in the space of work. And it's easy to talk about metrics and it's easy to talk about our forecasts, but it's really hard to pause and take a moment to be like, well, for any of that to work, it's a human conversation. It's about who's doing it, how we agree to show up together. Mm. And so I think there is kind of this pause and this reflection about, okay, love may be a tough word, but can we talk about the humanness of work? Mm. And I think it is going to take a little bit of a revolution to be okay, to hold both, to hold the very heady part of work and the heart part of work together. Oh. And it's, it takes some time to allow people to open to that in my experience. It's funny you use the word you just used, revolution. Because I've watched some people that kind of have reactions to revolution when we're talking about <laughs> love and human, like, well, wait a minute, what are you talking about there? Yeah. But it hit me just in the past few days that there also needs to be a revelation oh. of, I mean, to love is what it means to be human. And yes. our friend Renee Smith that leads the Make Work More Human initiative for the state of Washington that's what they're finding. Yeah. You know, and her response is when we talk about love, at first there is this, oh, she said love. Mm -hmm. And then right on the heels of that, there's some relief. Uh -huh. Oh, she said love. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about love? So how can we make love an easier topic to explore and hopefully increase the frequency with which these conversations are happening and the comfort that we now have to talk about it. Yeah, I think <laughs> this is a, a journey in the making. So forgive me for the lack of concreteness, but That's I think okay, but all journeys are journeys in the making. We just try yes. to explore that at some point. <laughs> exactly. I love this. And I love, hey, you listening, this is not a scripted conversation. No, not at all. 
Absolutely not. And I love that about it. So I can say what's on my mind and what's on my heart without <laughs> feeling judged. I think um, in my experience, it starts with kind of a one-on-one connection and conversation about what it means. And so when I'm working with senior leaders in an organization who are intrigued by this idea of working differently, it's about having a conversation and what does it mean for them? And I try to define what it means for me to give them some context to begin the conversation. And for me, love is about the absence of fear. It's about freedom and autonomy, and it's about human connection. And we begin a conversation about what does that mean for you? And what is it that you're trying to create in this team or organization? And allow them to create the message that fits for them. And whether it's love or care or joy or compassion or a tribe, whatever it might be, I think there's real value in having a chance for a leader to give it their voice. And so it is love for me, but I really don't push. If someone chooses, they want to hold the feeling, but call it different, something different. I am completely on board. Let's drive. And I'm with you there, but I'm going to use the word love like you are. (laughs) When we're talking about it, we're going to call it love. If you're quite comfortable calling it love yet we're not going to beat you up because we're love includes grace so we're going to extend grace to you to use the word compassion kindness joy whatever that is yeah but deep inside we know we're all talking about love (laughs) and that's okay there was something else you said that i really like and i was thinking you go into this in your book rich sheridan that wrote joy inc and then chief joy officer and then our friend Renee Smith. Sometimes when we look at this, we start by realizing what's there today, and it's fear. And we go, okay, and because Rich Sheridan, I love this phrase, a leader's job is to pump fear out of the environment. Yeah. Renee, in their conversations, in their journey, it was kind of like we want to eliminate fear. And then they had the presence of mind to ask, well, if you eliminate fear, then what do you have in its place? Mm-hmm. So that's just the way you're having these conversations with some folks. It's not like, hey, well, let's start talking about love. No, we start talking about what's the dysfunction that you want to have less of. That dysfunction is rooted in fear. Okay, Mm -hmm. so if we're to get fear out, then what do you have in its place? Yeah. And that is? Love. (laughs) Love. It's love. So let's do this. Let me ask you, would you compare and contrast for us? a fear-based workplace versus a love-rooted workplace? What are some of the differences? What would people see, feel, hear that's different in those two? Yeah, and I think you all are probably going to resonate with my description of the fear-based environment or workplace (laughs) because I think it's so common. Right, We've We've all seen it. We've been a part of it. We've you know, tried our best to manage through it. But some of the things that I would highlight. Before you go there, let me just, I'll give you a story. One of the first sales environments I worked in, Ray, the guy that hired me said, and every time we hire a class of new salespeople, I fire someone at the end of training just to get everybody's attention. Oh, no. Okay. I mean, you talk about fear. Right. I mean, there it is. We're just going to fire somebody just Mm -hmm. to show everybody else we're serious about you making quota. Uh, Yeah, that's heartbreaking. And these stories are so prevalent in terms of 
the things people do to maintain, whether it's power, control, ego, status, in such inhumane ways and debilitating ways. <laughs> so anyways, I absolutely resonate with that story. I've heard several stories when I was doing research for this book around what does it look like in a fear-based environment around public humiliation. And your story speaks exactly to that. So, you know, it might be really public like that, or it might be a little bit more passive aggressive in a meeting where someone is, you know, called out and blamed for an error in front of all of their peers. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely not how things need to be handled. So that's an interesting example. The other scenario that I'm sure you'll resonate with is, you know, this inability to actually tell the truth. So your boss asks for feedback and you're like, no, you're doing great. Everything is wonderful. Keep it up. (laughs) Versus being able to actually give some feedback that would be constructive and honest. There are those things that we think about in terms of appearances. Well, I have to stay as late as my boss. So I stay in good places or so that I, you know, appear to be working just as hard as everyone else, whether or not you're busy or your work is done, needing to do that to maintain an appearance so that something bad doesn't happen to you. One of the indicators that I think is most toxic is, well, two of them, I would say is secrecy. And so hoarding information that individuals need to actually do their job. And the other one would be gossip. And so talking behind each other's backs. And I had a boss, unfortunately, who oftentimes we would have great conversations, but continually it would be infused with, oh my God, did you see what so-and-so did? I mean, that report was terrible. And it continually created that feeling inside of me of like, oh my goodness, if he's saying that about my colleague, I wonder what he's saying about me to my other colleague. And so I think the list could go on and on in terms of what those elements of a fear environment look like. But any one of those scenarios that kind of gives you that sinking feeling that um, it's not safe to be here. It's not safe for me to be here. Okay. So you're talking about that. And I think sadly, sadly, most of you listening are nodding your head. Yes. <laughs> you have seen it. You have felt it. You have experienced it. And I hope that you are not right now carrying that load of shame from one mm-hmm. of these recent incidents in your life. Mm-hmm. If you are, I'm going to ask Heather before we go, what would you say to people like that? But let's say that now. What if somebody is just under that weight of shame from a toxic boss? Having been there, what would you say to them? Yeah. I was just asked this question or the group of facilitators were asked this question at the last Human First Club event in Denver. Like, what do you do? I'm in this environment and I've tried to change. And I think in my perspective, we have two choices. We have, based on kind of where we're at, we can continue to try, continue to try different strategies and solutions, whether it's connecting with peers who are trusted and collectively you can gain some traction and trying some new initiatives. And I think there's also an inventory that needs to happen internally. Hmm. For me, in my experience in a real fear-based environment, it was taking such a a soul toll Hmm. that it wasn't worth it anymore for me. And I think others from the outside looking in could have said, Heather, you need to continue to fight. You need to continue to work. And you need to continue to change the system from the inside out. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. But it's a personal choice around what can I do? 
And what is the best for my purpose going forward? And the decision for me was to try a different angle. Well, and so that would be my advice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It really, it does come to that point where you have to take a personal inventory and just ask at what cost? Yeah. At what cost? And am I willing to pay that price or am I just being a martyr yeah. and realize that, wow, this isn't going to change anytime soon and my health is going to continue to grade. Okay. I want to jump in your book and, but towards the end, you share a couple of case studies, which mm -hmm. I love. So looking at some of those case studies, what's an example of how does somebody not have an atmosphere or an environment that allows gossip? or secrecy? What are a couple of those, you know, a practice of love that you could share that goes, okay, this is the absence of love, but here is what love has led someone to do to counter that. Yeah. And these practices have really changed my perspective and being able to see them at work in large and small organizations gives me such hope. But there's a little caveat <laughs> in that it takes courage and it is a risk to move into these spaces. And as I work with individuals, for me, these acts are sacred in a bit in terms of needing some level of safety, psychological safety to move into this space. And so if you, you're a leader of an organization I give you huge kudos for trying a small experiment in your team to see what it looks like to try some practices of love and action. Or if you are an individual contributor, maybe it's a couple colleagues and you can try some peer coaching to move this along. So I don't say it to be hesitant about trying it, but just to know that it's not easy. And nor is it prescriptive, nor is it say, yeah. just go do this. I appreciated that in your book. You just don't take a practice that someone else did in their environment and say, oh, we're going to start doing exactly that. Yeah. You adopt and adapt it to your environment. So we're given all these caveats. <laughs> but I mean, I just love the way gossip was handled in this one organization. Yeah. And so gossip was something that was agreed to as a tribe and they refer to their organization as a tribe as something that is like a no, like a no go, no go whatsoever. So if someone comes to you and begins to talk about your colleague, Claire, in a way that's not positive, you know, the first step is like, okay, I hear you. And have you talked to Claire about this scenario? And if the answer is no, the conversation is halted and said, okay, great. Before we continue this conversation, I need you to go talk to Claire. And so that is like one of those beautiful initial steps of it's not that intrusive. It can be made with some simple ground rules of I appreciate where you're coming from and I hear what you're saying. But in order to create an environment that we really want to be a part of, I need you to go talk to them first. And so it's creating some of those ground rule spaces that I think are human. It's how we want to be treated. And for me, that's an awesome initial practice of love and action. Yeah. Do you want to share another? Oh. Yeah, absolutely. We could go on for hours, but I'll do one more. <laughs> and I think they get more advanced as we go. And one that I think is quite advanced is vulnerability. And I'm sure a lot of your prior conversations have touched on vulnerability, but it seems to be such a beautiful secret sauce of creating a culture that really embraces humans. And if you're a leader of a team, the easiest thing to begin with is, you know, when you don't have an answer, don't try to make things up and just create an answer. The best thing that you can say is, I don't know, 
but I'll find out, or I would love your help in finding out. So tiny little steps of creating the ripples of it's okay not to know. It's okay to say, you know, I don't have the answers and I need some help. (laughs) And so there's beautiful little practices that we can begin to employ every day. Yes, there are. And as you said, some of them are small, but the cumulative effect of all of these small practices is significant. And I also appreciate everyone, everyone has a role in preserving and protecting the culture of what's special here. Yeah. And that means we may have that policy that we don't gossip, but if somebody's gossiping to me, my role at that moment is to stop them. Absolutely. And to go, hmm, boy, this sounds juicy. And as much as I might want to hear the story, <laughs> yes. have you talked to Claire yet about this? Yeah. And I'm going to interrupt you and ask you to talk to Claire before you continue talking to me. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. So simple things. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm somewhat reticent to ask this. I know you're a researcher. <laughs> We're talking about evolution of workplace and work and yeah. the need for leaders to evolve. Because, I mean, that's the evolved executive. It's the leader evolving. So I'm just wondering, which comes first? You know, because I see yeah. some places where it seems like the desire for a better culture is out ahead of the executive saying we need to lead differently. And in other places, it's the executives that have this vision of something being done differently that are introducing the idea. Does the question even make sense to you, Heather? It does. And I'll practice what I just preached. And I will say, I don't know, but I've got a few. (laughs) I have a few. Well, you've probably seen some of both, right? You've seen some places where people are hungry for a different way of relating. Absolutely. And if I were to boil down all of my experiences, I would say there is both. And the one that I find is more effective is if the leader is out front. I've seen grassroots. I've been a part of a team that's like, oh, we want something better. And you move and you move down this path and you start gaining momentum. And then all of a sudden a leader finds out that doesn't agree and squashes you. Oh, elephants. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And that's heartbreaking. I mean, that is those scenarios that kind of, oh, just for everybody. Yeah. 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 And so if you are one of those, I don't stop because maybe you're a part of an organization that will evolve with you. My experience would say having an open leader that is willing to say, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm going to let us go down the path here a little bit is a much easier path to success in my playbook, at least. And so I tend to work more with leaders to help them through this evolution so that they can bring their teams and organizations with them. Okay. I'm with you there. I'm in agreement. The question I have in this is what's needed for a leader to evolve? And I'm going to plant a seed because you've already used the word. And when I read the word, I'm like, oh, I love the word because in my work, same thing. I think there is an awakening. It all starts with some kind of awakening. And then what's it to awaken somebody? I mean, how do you see that awakening happen? But what's needed for leaders to evolve? Yeah. You know, just as a side, doesn't it sound so beautiful? Like an awakening, you know, it's a beautiful word. And at the end of the day, these awakenings tend to be crazy painful (laughs) and disruptive and all of these things. And what your question is, you know, what does it take 
for that awakening. And I think that is absolutely unique to every individual. Several of the folks that I've been working with, this awakening is a slow, kind of a slow growing thing. This feeling of what I'm doing doesn't work anymore. And it doesn't contribute to my team's happiness, fulfillment, performance. I don't know, something just doesn't feel right. I want to do this differently. And that's a sign of an awakening. Like, okay, things are changing. Beliefs are changing. For others, the awakening can be, I just got fired from my job or I just had a heart attack and my job is killing me. You know, so these awakenings, I think, happen in much different ways. But I think there's a beautiful thing for us to be aware of as it relates to if I could share anything about my experience is paying attention to the feelings when they're alive within you and stop pushing them away because they're there to tell us something for me and my experience. They were there to hint and to whisper about the awakening that was happening within me. And even though I pushed it away for years, I'm glad that I finally listened to the whisper and allowed it to really blossom in the way that it needed to. And even though it was a little painful, it was painful. But on the other side, I am so grateful. Yeah. So I don't know if I've ever thought of this contrast before, but listening to you, they're both awakenings, but a wake-up call, a heart attack is a wake-up call. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of slap you in the face. Something's right. not working and, and you have ignored feelings for a long time. Yeah. But the awakening could be more gradual for some in this in your own journey, this something isn't right. Right. Or something, I've done this for years and it's no longer working the way it worked. Mm -hmm. And not look out there and say, what's wrong with them? Exactly, exactly. We need a new set of them because this should work. And that's such a great indicator right there when you begin to be like, oh my God, if I just had a whole new team, everything would be 100% better. That's like the perfect indicator of the mirror. Like, okay, Heather, look at the mirror. It's you. (laughs) I love you, but it's you. (laughs) So how do you, because you work as a coach, which another word for coach is a guide. How do you help someone guide through these awakenings? And what are some of the steps you've seen people take? I guess the other is how do people respond? Yeah. When the executives start, whether they're, and maybe they're not using the word love, but they're showing love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let me start there because I think that's just a fun place to start. And I'll go back to your first okay. question. You know, it's interesting to see when people begin to shift their behaviors and show up in a new way, it creates almost. <laughs> this is exaggerated again, but some hysteria, like people are, who is this? Like, you know, John showed up today and was like grateful. And he wrote me a thank you note. Like, what is this about? Yeah. So it's like this passing fad of, you know. What workshop did he go to that said? Yeah. But, you know, two months down the road, three months down the road, when behaviors are continuing and growing, people become alive. Like, Blossom is a word that just seems to be really resonant right now, but people become alive because they can stop hiding and they can show up and contribute and be real. But it takes some time for people to begin to trust that, okay, is this actually real or is this just something that's fake and I need to just like let it pass? And I apologize now I'm forgetting the first set of your question. Oh, me too. Okay. 
no, I think it was kind of like, what's happening with them? And how do you help someone through yes. that? You know, yes. What does it mean to show more love? And yeah. And remembering your question, like, how do we move through that evolution? Yeah. Because I do yeah. think it is. And in my own research, there's phases or stages of adult development that we go through. And oftentimes we can get stuck at levels and need a kick in the pants to kind of get to another level. And sometimes that's my job to be a kick in the pants. And so I work with leaders um, probably for the most part in challenging beliefs that we're holding. And so we tend to work on scenarios that are very real life for the business that's at hand and then try to understand what's the human impact of that. So if we're wanting to shift and lead from a place of love versus a place of command and control and hierarchy and status and all these things, we have to shift how we show up and we dive into, well, the belief around, I need to show up in this way, what is that belief rooted in? And I use a lot of the work from Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy. They are incredible mentors, whether they know it or not. They've done a lot of work with the immunity to change. And now... Love that. The immunity to change has been one of the most pivotal... It's more than an exercise because it's kind of another inventory and a deep dive into belief systems for my own personal development and in spiritual growth and to work with leaders to really understand it's not about being good or bad. It's solely about a belief, thought patterns that you've been holding. And we have absolute permission to change those beliefs. Once we understand what they are and who they serve and what they serve, we can absolutely go back and change that. And it's only when we do that work that a behavior will actually have sustainable change versus just the, you know, one or two month kind of thing. So that's where we start. All right. And oh gosh, there's so much more there. I'm looking at the time. I can't believe (laughs) the time is getting away from us so quickly. I would heartily recommend Immunity to Change to you. Absolutely. It's a great book. And as I said at the beginning, there are just so many things, these Venn diagrams. Immunity to Change has been a major book in my growth and development and getting Mm -hmm. unstuck. Yeah, absolutely. Mine as well. Hmm. And I just love, let me ask you 30 seconds, 45 seconds about belief behavior, because, you know, there's some folks that say you behave your way into a new belief. I don't (laughs) think you and I agree with that. I think we believe. Yeah. So 30 seconds would be, I think you can temporarily behave yourself into a new belief and it's shaky, but if you want lasting change in my experience, in my life, I need to untie the belief create a new belief for behavior to change. And maybe we'll have that conversation in an <laughs> episode. The whole thing's about changing beliefs and how that modifies behavior. So Heather, I want to ask you, is there something you'd like to say that kind of puts a bow around this conversation and brings us to a good mm-hmm. pause for people? You know, I would just say, you know, thank you for showing up in terms of listening to the conversation that we've had so far highlights the fact that something in here is resonating with you. And I would say congratulations and thank you for being here and continue the climb Mm. because this work is not easy work. It is in my mind, a revolution and we need people just like you to be on this journey with us and recreating the way that we work. And you know, reach out for help, find the tribe that can support you. You know, when you are 
questioning whether this is your path or when you're faltering and when you stumble and when you need to pick me up, find the people around you that can support you and move you forward. Yeah. I love that. Continue the climb. I was with a friend earlier this month and we were in a conversation and he made a statement and it's just stuck with me. No one climbs Everest alone. No, it's so true. So your other point, find people. Yes. Who are the people around you? Continue the climb, but climb together. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it's the scary climb all by yourself. Yeah. So for people that want to explore the evolved executive or learn more about you, Heather, where do we direct them? Great question. So feel free to jump on my website, which is just untetheredconsulting.com. And I've got some freebies out there that you're more than welcome to have. So a couple free chapters of the book, if you want to get a little sneak preview, there's a free five-week mini course for anyone who wants to dive a little bit deeper. But you can also just, you know, if you're interested in having a conversation, send me an email, find me on social media, and would love to continue the conversation. Well, thank you for joining us and contributing to this ongoing conversation about love in action, (laughs) humans first workplaces, and all of these good conversations we're having. And thank you for hosting. This is an amazing thing to be a part of. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Heather, for being so open and vulnerable with us today. There was so much goodness in this time together we shared. You know, it's always interesting to me that while you and I hear the same conversation, we hear it differently because of our life journey and where you are, where I am in that journey at this exact moment. And I'm always curious. I'd like to know, how do you respond to the conversation? And specifically, I'm curious about how you respond to this talk of love in the workplace. By now, you know that I'm comfortable with it, and I believe love belongs. So what about you? There's a portion of the conversation I really want to reiterate, because I believe for some of you, it's really important, and that's to pay attention to your feelings. Don't stifle them. Pay attention, because sometimes they're indicators, they're warning signs, or they're just something to enjoy when it's really good. So pay attention. And then finally, where Heather ended is where I want to end today. I want to encourage you to continue the climb. And I really want to encourage you to make sure you're climbing with someone. So find someone to make the trek with because living, leading, and loving are so much better together. You know you have a standing invitation to email me at Kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com. Let me know what's on your mind. And you can call me 678 744 5111. So until next time, I encourage you to live, love, and lead with purpose. If you're a leader who is or wants to be entrusted with the transformation of your team, join Kevin and six other leaders for a year-long journey of transformation that will help you release your brilliance and help others to do the same. Email Kevin at KevinDMonroe.com to begin the application process.